1: Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach.
2: So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And I trust that everyone listening is well and responding creatively to the coronavirus situation right now. Um, it's definitely a time to put first things first, to, to know what's really important in our lives and all of us at Unity hold you in the light right now we're doing a number of things that um, connect with uh, all those interested in unity you can check out the uh, the daily um, prayer services from silent unity which are up on the uh, facebook just go to at unity and get inspired by some of those messages uh, of course silent unity continues to pray and is available 24 7 and uh, we're trying to keep active, even though uh, Unity Village itself is pretty much shut down, as uh, most places are right now. But we continue because the church, as they say, is not the walls, is it not the building, it's it's the people. So we're still uh, active, and here we are today. Today I talked to a mother who has experienced perhaps the worst experience that can befall a parent, and that's the loss of a a child through suicide. And her book, How to Live When You Want to Die, um, which I found very moving, um, tells the story of her journey through this traumatic experience and what she learned. Not only that, it's an encouragement to all those dealing with a similar situation and also help for those who are feeling suicidal themselves. So it's an honor, therefore, to welcome Leanne Hull to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share some of the insights that I have. So thank you.
2: And I know this has been a few years ago now. So, you know, uh, I know it's the cliche they always put on it, time heals all wounds, which is not true, right? Because if you lose anybody, it always comes back in cycles around again. But uh, with a certain distance, I think we, we do have a little bit of a easing of the of the initial pain. Right. So we're able to maybe see a little differently, but, but it's still devastating. And, and I, I don't, know, don't know if you want to go back to that devastating day uh, for our listeners, but it's, it's one of the worst days that could ever befall anyone, isn't it? When you you find out the, the horrific news that somebody you love dearly, you know, is no longer with us.
1: Yes. I mean, it has been seven years for me. And if you if you can talk to a variety of parents and depending upon how they've processed their journey, they will indeed tell you that time does not heal. And I would say that it can. So it depends a lot on the work that you're going to put in it to move yourself forward.
0: Right. That being said,
1: of course, I will always miss Andy and the things that are a continued trigger, if you want to say, that will take me back to that are are really the missed things like missing seeing him get married, missing seeing grandchildren. So when I see his friends going through some of those experiences, then that's that tugs at my heart and, and can have the potential to take me back to those moments. Right. But, you know, the first moment, I think, set the stage for me to move forward eventually. Because I said a couple of things that were pivotal in my journey. Within an hour after Andy passed, you know, when I first got home and had to actually physically get up off the concrete and then began the process of getting up emotionally after that. But I said, I will praise you in the storm and I'm not the first mom to lose a kid. And those were two things that came out of my mouth that number 1 faith is not faith is only really important when you are faith faced with something that's challenging or drops you to your knees otherwise faith is easy faith is something anybody can do but what is your faith when you're in the midst of a storm how are you going to respond and that's up to you to respond it is an active process and then secondly my I'm not the first mom what that did is it made me not feel isolated in my loss and in my tragedy it connected me with humanity so that i didn't feel so alone in my suffering and those two things really helped me
2: yeah that's interesting because um you know, there's a choice here, isn't there? Um, you know, we may say, well, there's no, there's no choice. I've lost, I've lost everything. You know, the whole, the light has gone out of my life, so to speak. And, and that is a choice too. Right. And, and I know you struggled with the idea of, um, you know, having a good time, you know, you should be mourning all the time, right? This, and I think a lot of people feel that guilt when I lost my, my wife to, to breast cancer, um, you know there were times when I would laugh and joke and then I'd remember that she'd gone and I'd cry again, but I think that's part of grief isn't it it's it's not about always being sad right um you know yeah. it's not it's not doing a disservice to the person if you are happy right because they they would want you. I know Andy would want you to be happy, and you could you could feel that in the book. And I and I know my late wife would have wanted me to as well. You know that doesn't mean I should forget her, right? That the, that there's still that grieving. But it's grieving is a complicated matter. It's not the simple linear pattern that sometimes we're taught. You know, they move through these stages and then all is well.
1: It's definitely not linear. And even today, I do a lot of speaking. To parents and mentoring to parents who have lost children and I I do get pushback whenever I tell them that it is a choice of how you're going to you can't change that your your kid is gone your kid's gone you can't undo that so now the rest is up to you and it is a choice and they say no I absolutely have no choice Leanne and they get mad at me so you're going to people are going to you're only going to be able to reach a certain amount of people with this message who say, yes, I don't want to be, to feel this way for the rest of my life. And like you said, my, my loved one that I'm missing certainly wouldn't want me to live this way. But, you know, people were very quick to want to give me the books, the five stages of grief. And, and they gosh, I threw those books away because I could do all five stages in one day and be back to ground zero. Exactly. It's not linear. It's a very, it's rough, but it is an active journey. And I think when you said guilt, that is the big thing. There's, we in our society have associated with uh, the amount that you grieve is connected with how deep your love with love with your loved one was. I've even had people say, "Well, Leanne, you didn't you were apparently weren't as close or loved Andy as much as I love my child because I'm still grieving." Well, that's mm. <laughs> that's such a joke. It's not even yeah. So there we have to disconnect grief with love and understand that we can let go of the grief that doesn't mean we're letting go of the person we loved.
2: Absolutely, yeah, so important, and you know to come back to you know kubler ross 's five stages of of uh, grief and all that i know i th- I think it was a breakthrough at the time, you know for people who'd never really thought about grief, they were just lost in this these horrible feelings and and she did sort of uh, uh, you know elucidate it to a degree, but I think that she 'd be the first to say it 's not linear you know it's um these, like you said, these all happen um, in one day, and it, it, but that doesn't invalidate them, right? We we go through these right. these times of denial and bargaining and desperation and you know etc. and and that's part and parcel. And, and another thing I want to mention, and you probably agree with this, is there's no one right way to grieve, right? Everybody's different. and um, you have to honor that. And the last thing we want to do is, you know, put a guilt trip on somebody. You're not grieving as much as I do. You know, you, you don't even love somebody as much as I do because that, that's that's so horrific. You know, nobody knows that anyway, right? We can't be in anybody else's skin. So um, yeah, we, we I think just that's, don't know.
1: I think that's my issue with, um, and that's why I, I, I read, I did read her book. And then I stopped reading any other books on grief because I really felt, I never felt anger. I never felt. I I never questioned why. So there were a lot of things that I didn't do with Andy that uh, people that write grief books they want to tell you that these are the appropriate. These are the all the things that you're going to go through. And and that wasn't true for me. And so I didn't want someone telling me and me sitting around waiting. Well, gosh, am I going to go through that or why? No, I didn't. I never went through that. So I worked really hard not to tell other people how they're going to respond, how they're not going to respond, how long it's going to take, how long it won't. But whatever it is, you have to be an active participant in it. But there is no, you don't have to go through all those five stages. And that's why I really disagree with it. I i did not go through several of those stages ever. And it's been seven years. So nice i i i don't like reading books that tell me how i'm going to respond
2: yeah absolutely yeah well um, this is this is we're in unity we're we're, we're, that's the sort of our viewpoint too you know sort of out of the box that there is no one right way to do anything you know you have to be authentic with your own spiritual path and this is a spiritual path you know this dealing with uh with death it really deepens our spiritual understanding doesn't it it forces us into that so uh yeah there is no one way to do that um uh let's shift gears a little bit you know andy was like the golden person wasn't he, he, he you called him his nickname was sunshine right and yes. um in, in so many ways he was you know the the, the perfect child you know he was great at sports he he was motivated you, you know and, he had a girlfriend he had um, lots of interests, you know, he's very athletic, um, did well in school, uh, at least, you know, until the recent times just before his his, uh, his passing. Uh, but sometimes, you know, when we're that perfect, supposedly, or when we appear to be that way, th- there's something going on, right? There's, there's pressure. Um, just, and you mentioned that in a chapter in the book that, uh, you know, it, it, it all reached a perfect storm, and, and then they, then he had some medicine he was taking that didn't help. But um, there's a lot of pressure when you when you do well at things, you know, there's the pressure to continue to, to succeed. Right. And I know there was some pressure about him getting getting into college and being, you know, a sports person, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I think this happens for a lot of our teenagers and, and early 20s folks, you know, that they they appear to be. You know, fine on the outside, right? But, but there's a lot of turmoil going on and unbeknownst to us. And that, that was one thing you, you had no clue it was ha- going to happen, right? No,
1: I mean, that's an important message when I'm speaking that I tried to deliver is that we are trying to identify who's a candidate for suicide by looking right. the outside and. Um, I know so many parents who will tell you the same thing that I did, that their kid was happy and involved and that they're an involved parent and blah, blah, blah. And so we have to look a little bit deeper. And honestly, I totally attribute Andy's suicide to the use of the drug, the Accutane, because... um, it did affect, it was actually reported to the FDA by his dermatologist that it is what caused Andy's suicide So it affected his frontal lobe, which is where our clear thinking is, and our ability to process normal life challenges. And when that's impacted, um, which it can be a very impulsive reaction, and that you know, I didn't really, I probably wouldn't have appreciated that. And that's why I titled the book that I did, How to Live When You Want to Die, because I wanted to die every day after Andy passed. And mm-hmm. that I understood then how close and how impulsive those moments can be brought about by any little trigger that we can all reach that point in a moment's notice. And so preparing ourselves with, teaching ourselves uh providing with coping skills and in advance you know so that we are more resilient and better prepared to handle life's you know challenges our youth aren't because they just don't have the length of time behind them to gather these tools to learn healthy coping skills
2: right and you know unfortunately the, w- when things build up on us and we you know we don't have the coping skills we don't have the the, the clarity to see things we we feel like it's the end, right? The, yeah. the, uh, yeah. What do they say? It's that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I mean, that's a cliche, I know,
0: but there right. is something
2: to that because when we're in in the middle of it, we we feel like it's going to go on forever, right? And, and yes. there's no way out, and so suicide what? is the only only sane option, which you know seems insane, but that's that's the way we feel when we're in that that mindset.
1: I had a mom recently tell me because she's so angry about her son's passing by suicide and she said how could he do this to me how could he not leave you know on and on and I said this isn't about you he didn't do this to you this has absolutely nothing to do with anybody else you know and that's what was really clear to me when I had those thoughts of suicide hey I have other kids I have grandchildren I have a husband of almost 40 years now I have all the reason to live and in those moments of pain none of that mattered none mm-hmm. yeah you just want the pain to stop and so it's not about how much someone loves you know it's not how much her whether her child loved her or didn't this is this is a totally different process and um it's very private it's very personal it's it's very isolated and that's why that statement of when I recognized that I wasn't the first mom to lose a kid, those are some of the things that held me on this planet was it prevented me from feeling that isolation over. And I would remind myself of that over and over again. I'm not the first person to go through trauma, you know?
2: You know, they say that uh, suicide is the most selfish act, you know, And, and that's another sort of cliche that's put out there. And you've just given the lie to that. You know, when you're in that uh, horror, that you you know desperation, um, in the midst of uh, you know pre-suicidal feelings, you, you know you're not necessarily being selfish in the sense you're thinking about. Yourself alone. It's just you can't think of anything else, right? So it's not—it's not so much that you're doing it willfully; it's to, you're caught in it. Um, and and so you know, we we have to have empathy and and, and compassion for people who are going through that because to f- to feel that hurt, and strongly enough that you would you know self destruct is, um, is is so wrenching, isn't it? For for any any human being to feel that bad.
1: Um, I so remember. It, A pastor made an analogy of the jumpers on 9-11 out of the buildings. Uh That's like someone who's completing suicide. That they're not, they're running from the fire. They're not jumping to their death. They're trying to escape the fire. And that fire is in the brain of someone who's thinking about suicide. They're not jumping to death. They just want away from the pain. That was a really good visual for me to understand of people who jumped out of a building, not because they wanted to die, but because they wanted to get away from the fire.
2: Yeah, sex actually an excellent analogy, isn't it? I like yeah.
1: that. Yeah.
2: There's yeah. not a
1: selfish bone in Andy. There would he would never have done anything to hurt me or hurt his siblings or his friends. There wasn't a selfish bone in that kid. He would have mm-hmm. laid down his life for anybody else. He just couldn't do it for himself,
2: right? Mm. You know, during the period when you were going through, you know, some desperate times and and wanted to die, whatever, um, there, there was a, a time, a moment of of um, yeah, a opening of, of an epiphany almost, and it, you call it "I'm a riser." I think. T- tell us about that, because that was a lovely chapter in the book.
1: You know, I, I. I am so thankful, if you can say that, that I have had this opportunity to understand what it's like to be in the depths of despair and to claim the gift of life, to to grab onto it, to realize that... Gosh, life is tough for so many of us in so many ways. And that the book is supposed to resonate with not just people who've lost a loved one to suicide or her contemplating it. Could be someone who's going through a divorce, who's going through bankruptcy, who you know, all this the trauma right now with the COVID 19. You it is in those moments when you can rise up to be something more beautiful and resilient and it allows us then to have an empathy for a whole greater group of people because of what we've experienced i love that that, that this is a decision i am a riser that came from the, the the song in my soul i think you know my the the gift that god gave me this precious gift of life that this burning ember that's in all of us and allowing it to to rise in the midst of something that is so pressingly painful
2: and we see that a lot in in the bible of course and we see it a lot in in um world texts wisdom texts you know throughout uh, all traditions right this idea of um the phoenix if you like rising out of the out of the ashes or the the shoot that that shoots forth from the stump of jesse you know the the that um it appeared to be a dead stump but then the the life came in it again and this idea of renewal and regeneration of course it's all based around um the 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 story of jesus and, and resurrection the idea that um you know the cycles of rebirth happen over and over again, and and that's that's not cheap grace. You know, it's cheap grace if you say it'll be okay, you'll rise again. But you have to experience it, right? You have to fully experience the devastation in order to savor the the rising, the regeneration, right? It's it's. Um, I think it's important you go through all the pain. Not that you're forced to go through. You know, I'm not saying that, you know you have to suffer, but but you have to authentically feel what you feel. In, right. in order to receive the grace, in order to receive the blessing,
1: yeah, and and it's an act of, Not only do you have to receive it, but then you have to do something with it. Uh-huh. So, it, you know, I I often tell people if God showed up at your door, and because everybody's always like, "Well, I want answers. I want to know why, and and why is it, why is this happening to me, and what's the plan?" And okay, so let's just say God shows up at your door, and He says this is why this is happening. And this is blah, blah, blah. It's still, that's never going to be enough. You are still going to be required. If there's still a call to action. All right. This may be the why, but now you've got to move forward with that. It doesn't change what's happened, but God is still calling us to move forward with an action, not just to sit there and have faith or receive whatever it is. He, he, he's calling us to action the bible's filled with that the bible's not a happy book every story in the bible is filled with trauma and tragedy and then someone is having to respond to that no one's just sitting there going well gosh this is just happening to me and and i'm gonna just wait and see no we gotta get up and do something with it
2: yeah and i think that's a hugely important thing because sometimes we think we you know we have a breakthrough we have a moment of recognition of the truth and and then we feel that's it i'm done you know i'm enlightened or whatever and <laughs> um you know that that's only the beginning isn't it then you have to put that into practice in your life you know to live it and the compassion of course is the way because once you understand your connectedness to source you understand that you know that we all have the potential to be connected right and so right. um that's the work is to help others uh you know feel that connection i know that's what you've dedicated a good part of your life to doing we'll talk about that in the in the second segment you know the, there's a po- there's a song by um credence clearwater revival and the it, the line is come come on a rising wind. We're going up around the bend. But yeah. when, when I was, when I was younger, I, I didn't hear come on a rising wind. I heard come on a rise and win. And, um, it works both ways, but it's the, the idea of I'm, I'm arising and winning. I'm, I'm, I'm successful in my life. I'm going to do great things. Um, and uh, this is, this speaks to me what you, you know, what the experience that that you had as well, uh, a rising up out of, um, the doldrums or out of devastation. Um, you know, well, that the, the, yeah, go ahead.
1: Perseverance, because we're so accustomed to having immediate gratification in our society that so much of the work that I did, I didn't feel or see the results from the work that I was putting in until a couple of years had passed. And huh. so I had to be really persistent with my process and patient for it to work and to see the results. And so often we give up way before if we don't see oh well this isn't making me feel better I mean that's why I think our divorce rate is so high as well well gosh it's not working for me right now okay there were years where my husband and I didn't like each other but that didn't mean that we didn't continue doing the work and working to make it better this is the same in this process I really persevered through my process
2: and I think we have, you mentioned the, the virus again, um, and I think we have an opportunity right now to, to do that work, right, to persevere through this. And yes. we're, we're, we're being forced to come apart, you know, and, and be in our own homes. Uh, but that, what a gift that is, you know, because we have the opportunity to stop the cycle, you know, the cycle of endless uh, unfoldment. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but we're, al- we're almost on the treadmill sometimes. We never stop and so this this whole process is forcing us to stop and to to reevaluate so again even though it's a difficult time you know it's an opportunity to to do some real work here and maybe to see each other in a different light because i hope that we can be a little kinder and more compassionate and civil to each other you know as a result of this so um you know we we will see it's an ongoing experiment right now isn't it
1: it's been very interesting for me to see that my response to it, because it hasn't triggered me like it has so many other people, because I have, I'm used to having to do the work to manage through uh-huh. the trauma. And so I read a lot of books. I understand what that means to spend time alone. I know how to do that. So I know how to, and if. If other people can learn the value of this time alone, it, like you said, it can be an opportunity for tremendous growth and em- empathy and compassion for our whole world if we use this time rather than asking why and being angry about it.
2: <laughs> yeah. right, good points, good points. Folks, I'm with Leanne Hull, and we're talking about her book, How to Live When You Want to Die. We're at the break. Let's listen to these messages from unity and we'll come back and talk some more. Join us then.
0: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach.
2: Hello and welcome back to today's show. I'm with Leanne Hull talking about her book, How to Live When You Want to Die. Uh, Leanne lost one of her children, son at age 16, about seven years ago now. And uh, we've been talking about uh, how to cope with that, how to move forward creatively. And a big part of that is finding tools and ways to do that because uh, in some traditions we're told just to have faith or whatever. Um, but sometimes that, that that's, that's not enough. We, we need a whole toolbox and, um, I know, Leanne, you said that you, you'd initially read, like, eight, 80 self-help books um, to, get, to get you through. Um, but, but you know, take, taking those books and other information, you you were able to glean various ways to to, to, to move forward successfully, right? Um, and I know it's been a bit of a shift for you, right, in, in terms of your spiritual tradition uh, from a more fundamentalist approach to, to something a little more... Um, open-ended perhaps and uh, you know it's still faith it's still a, a spiritual path but uh, less uh, perhaps fear-based you know m- more open to possibility and i know at one point you went to a, a medium and of course in you know, some traditions you know that's that's not kosher um, but you you found great solace in that you want to talk about some of the experiences there of connecting to andy
1: yeah, you know, the. I did have, initially I had some coping tools to help me through the initial uh, trauma, tragedy. Right. The two that really helped me were, they were my faith and the other, you know, I had been self-employed all my life. So I understood resiliency. I understood uh, just really how much the work required, you know, was based on my effort. The outcome was based on my effort. But I also knew that I didn't have enough tools. I had enough tools to help me to survive, but I didn't have enough tools to move me forward. Those books that I read, I did read 80. They weren't self-help books. They were all, because I didn't, I read books of other people who had survived tragedies and traumas. They were really um biographies or non nonfiction stories of people, so that I could gleam some of the information of how they survived. they were inspirational yeah. books. I wanted, right. and I read books on the afterlife till like, i I just I couldn't get enough. I wanted to know where my son was. So even though I was grounded initially in my Christian faith in a very fundamental Christian faith, so I knew there was heaven, and I believed that that's where Andy was that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to know more specifics and I, I wanted to talk to my kid. So (laughs) I did do the ultimate no, no, from a Christian standpoint, from my religious background standpoint, let's put it that way, that, and seeing a medium, you know, everybody told me I was going to go to hell. And there were even people that told me that Andy was in hell because he had completed suicide So those things did not ring well, sit well with me. And so I did reach out to, I had been referred to a woman who lived in my state. She had great references and her dad happened to have been a minister. So I thought, all right, she comes from a faith-based background and I did go see her. I saw her interestingly enough, 40 days after Andy passed and without a doubt, by the time I left there, I knew that I had talked to my kid and that my kid was, was well. And the last things that he said through her was, my mom is tough as nails and she's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And that propelled me forward. I thought, I'm going to live to prove him right every single day from now on. I am going to prove that this kid you know that he he was and is the sunshine and the only way that other people are going to know that is through me i'm his representative now and so how i live my life is really what how it represents you know the person that you are missing couldn't doesn't have to be a child it can be your wife like you you know how you live your life is really how people are going to see your loved one best is by how you tell the story
2: yeah I'm and, beautifully put i love that idea and of course I wanted we're
1: deep, of that narrative.
2: You know, we're deeply connected, aren't we? It's not not about just our physical beings, right? Just just because that child, you know, was sixteen and is now gone physically, does not mean they they're gone in any other respect, right? Their soul, no. their spirit, their essence continues and um you know and yes they have messages for us you know i've received some in my own experience from loved ones and and other people and then i've come across a number of experiences as, as a minister over 30 some years you know where people have spoken to people who apparently died physically but are still very much there and so what, t- what that teaches me is there's a continuity here and and we have to honor that right we have to, to speak to that in in the way we live our lives and um I think it's beautiful the, the idea that the best way we can honour somebody is, is to carry on their legacy. You know, to be to be sunshine ourselves, right? Um, because yeah. that that is the a victory over over the sadness, over the diminishing, you know, that we may feel, and um, and 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 it has a special poignancy, doesn't it? Because um, it's not just um, us. It's almost like that 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 person is breathing through us in some yeah. some some regards, yeah.
1: you know, I had after about a year and a half or a couple years, and I'd been doing a lot of work with I'd started a foundation and did a lot of work after Andy passed and one really moment that sticks in my mind is this young woman she was andy's age so 18 at that point in time when she came to me she came up to me running up to me and she said you're andy's mom and she came up so excited she wasn't filled with sadness or grief because she knew the messages that i had been putting out there were messages of sunshine. And she knew that that Andy and I were connected versus if she'd come up to me and said, oh, I'm so sorry about the loss of your son. That's not mm-hmm. how she approached me because I had controlled the narrative and I had let people know that it was safe, that I was carrying on for Andy and that I was now filled with that sunshine and that joy and they could approach me in the same way. And I loved that, that she was honored that I was Andy's mom and it wasn't, it was joyful and not sad.
2: Right. I love that. Life enhancing, right. As opposed to seeing life as, um, you know, a tragic experience or whatever. Right. We are so conditioned to, you know, the physical and and the three dimensional that we, you know, we have a hard time seeing that that's only a part of what's really going on. And, um, but once we understand that we, you know, we truly are, uh, spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, not yep. the other way around. Then we then and we sell, begin to celebrate the fact that the spirit is, you know, cannot be killed or die. Right? It's uh, it's eternal, and that's 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 a beautiful thing. It's not just a nice idea. It, it's it's the way the universe works. Right? Um, then <laughs> and unfolds. So it's it's uh, it's victory if you like. Um,
1: Sometimes uh, I say that. Um... I actually, and this will sound a little weird, maybe, maybe not to you, but that I actually have a greater ability to talk to Andy now than I probably would if he were here in the physical sense, because if he were here in the physical and he was off at college or married, he wouldn't want me calling him every day. Hey, you know, but now I can talk to him every day and I know I'm not bothering him. So, how I think of it is I have direct access to him 24 seven whenever I want. And we share life together just in a different way, you know, and he just right. give me signs to let me know that he is here with me. And I, I love that.
2: Absolutely. That's beautiful. So you, you mentioned you've, you know, founded some the foundation and the whole sunshine foundation and, and you have uh, something called you matter. Do you want to talk about those things that you've, Put into activity.
1: Yes, we started a nonprofit foundation, really four months after Andy moved to heaven, called Andy Hall Sunshine Foundation. I gave my first presentation to three thousand kids, and at the end of that presentation, uh, we handed out "You Matter" wristbands because we wanted. It was at Andy's school that I spoke, and we wanted them to know that that they had a purpose here on the planet that God had a a plan for them and that they had a job to do and that their, their job was not to follow in Andy's footsteps that they mattered. And so that really took off and other schools called and then military bases and people continued to ask me to come and present. And so everywhere we went, we handed out you matter wristbands and we wanted people. We didn't limit it to one per person. We told them take as many as you want because while we want you to know that you matter we also want you to know that it's your responsibility to let someone else know that they matter to you too you have a responsibility here on the earth to to make a difference you have a job everybody has a job to do in one way or another and that you might be that person that's that saves someone else's life by just telling them that they matter to you and so our wristbands now have gone all over the world uh south africa australia england scotland cyprus you name it they they literally and they're free to anyone who wants them they can go to our website and and uh, fill out the the form and, and we'll ship them to you free and we also have a sunshine reader program. We have volunteer readers that read to kids in the school to let them know that they matter and a camp you matter. So we've done, we've done a lot of work in seven years and continue to want to just imprint that message upon everybody's hearts, that they matter, that each person has a precious life. And, and, uh, sometimes you have to, You know, it requires your active participation in that as well, finding your place, seeking it out, finding what is it that that you are supposed to do here? How can you make a difference instead of just being a recipient of whatever comes your way? So
2: So it seems to me like it's a three-part process here, right? You're you're telling your story. Which, which is the first part, you know, which is authentic to you. And and people want to know that. They want to know how, how it felt for you. The second part is then you're, you're helping others cope with, the, you know, the similar stories that they've, happen to them but then the third part is is then okay we we've got that covered in in a sense that but now how do we help uh, everyone else right how do we help those people who are suffering Uh, and 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 so it's and I love that because it's equipping because I know a lot of groups they sit down and they talk about you know their experiences and it's almost a circular thing, you know, we're endlessly talking about our, our suffering and our sadness and, and getting support to a degree. But I love the idea of equipping somebody then to, to go help others. You know, that, that seems to be uh, a real powerful thing, right? We're not, we're not just sitting in a support group. We're doing something practical. And any of us who have done something like that, we know that healing comes when you reach out from yourself to help others, right? When you get beyond your own circle uh, circle of thinking into a larger sense of, of what's going on. And I think that's powerful.
1: Yeah, because every time that I opened up, and I did that from the very beginning, when I would share my story with someone else, then inevitably they would want to share Obviously not necessarily that they lost their child to suicide, but you know, Andy's friends. Hey, they got dumped at homecoming or they didn't this or they, they flung to class or or my friends who are going through a divorce. And so it connected us all through our suffering and then it empowered us to to realize that we could make a difference if we took our eyes off ourselves and looked at, at someone else's life. It helped to relieve some of our own suffering and and brought us together as a community. And that I know was a huge helping tool for me to move forward is that it, it didn't allow me time to just sit in my in my pain alone. I was always reaching out to other people, listening, helping, motivating, and, and that made me feel better. Because right. it helped it helped them so it's something we can use especially now with everybody's struggles we can take all of these same things and look past what's happening to us and how can we even in our own little small community you know hey I had a my aunt she's 82 and she lives in a in a senior community and she shouldn't be going to the store and and she didn't have toilet paper so I had a friend of mine who had excess toilet paper and I said hey kim I've got I've got some books. I know you love my books and love to give them out. I'll trade you books for toilet paper. She's like, perfect. So I gave her books. She gave me toilet paper, and I delivered them to my aunt's community. So they're just little little things that we can do that can take our mind off our own suffering and make a difference in other people's lives. And they don't require a whole lot.
2: You know some people who are listening, um, not not everyone, but the, you know some may say, well, that's okay for you. Everything seems great. You've got a family to support you, you know, do this, that, and the other. It's not so easy for some of us, but you know, in the book you share, you know, that is not the case, right? Your, your husband, um, you know, went through a difficulty with cancer at one point after, you know, just a few years ago, um, your, your ch- other, some of your other children have struggled to deal with, you know, the, the Andy's passing and, um, you know, in one way or another, uh, and you've lost touch with one of your, one of your sons, I understand. So, um, you know, the point being here is life is tough, right? It's there's there's no easy way. It's not this is this is not being happy because you you haven't got any problems. It's right. being happy in the midst of or or joyous in the midst of the difficulty, right?
1: Yeah, you know. I love it when someone will tell me, like you just said, that, oh, you don't understand. And then I tell them my list, not because I need the sympathy, but you're right. My husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer six months after Andy passed and given two years to live he's cancer-free now. My mom passed. I'm an only child. I have no dad. So it was just my mom and I, my mom passed just four years ago. So three years after Andy passed, my oldest son attempted suicide twice after Andy passed. He was serving over in the Persian Gulf and he just couldn't process the pain. Our other son who's in the military, in the air force, he couldn't process it either. And he didn't speak to us it's been over four years i've lost two daughter-in-laws because of that these daughter-in-laws were married to my sons for 10 years so tremendous tremendous pain and compounding the grief and the loss and you just it's you just have you have well i figure out how to move forward and i choose to move forward i choose to honor the life i've been given and even in the midst of all of the things that i have i know there are people that have it far worse than me and i remind myself of that daily uh so what can i do through all of my losses they connect me even more to so many other different people's stories it's just broadened my ability to have empathy is how i look at it
2: right yeah and God always sends a compensation, it seems to me. You know, when the first murder was committed in the Bible, um, you know, God send the, sent another person, Seth, whose name means compensation. And, and I think there's a symbolism to that. You know, when, whenever we are struggling, um, there's always a compensation. It's like we see that with tragedy when the. There's a terrorist act. There's always a thousand people rushing to help, right? There's this compensatory power there. And, and I think that's true for all of us. You, you're surrounded by so many people who support you and appreciate what the work you're doing, you know. So, the, so there's the compensation, even though you know, it's a tough row, you know, there are blessings in it. I think look for the blessing often, you know, because sometimes we forget that. We're so immersed in our difficulties, we we don't see that there there can be you know satisfaction in the simplest act you mentioned doing simple acts and sometimes people do simple things for us you know I received a a card yesterday from a a, a congregant in the I'm retired now but uh, a congregant in my church and uh, just saying some nice words and it it totally made my day you know and uh, you don't realize sometimes the, the the impact of just the simple things and, and to remember that I could I could have said oh that's nice and moved on but I wanted to honor it and be aware of it and I, I called the person up and said thank you so much and so little things like that can make a huge difference right
1: yes absolutely you know that's what I I, I love the so much in the faith-based community we talk about having faith and i really want to expand that and ask that question what does that mean to have faith because does that mean that we're just sitting and resting in that space? Or is faith something that's active? And I like to think of it as something that's active. That my faith is alive, not dormant. My faith is not still. My faith is, is um, vibrant. It's not a passive thing that I have faith. Faith is something that I do. Not something that I have.
2: Right, it's an action, it's a verb, right? You know yeah. that we have to practice it in our lives. Um, we've only got a little bit left, but I wanted to cover something I know some people have difficulty with, and that is milestones. You know, or like the first birthday mm-hmm. or the first anniversary of the death, uh, and then every succeeding anniversary. Have you got any advice for people on how to deal with that? Because those those are tough times.
1: Yes, make a plan. Don't let it sneak up on you. So I plan months in advance for the two in particular dates Andy's birthday and his angel date and I plan to do something you know whether it's something big or something small but that date is not something that's gonna sneak up on me so I'm an active planner I do not allow my time to sit I don't sit idle um that doesn't mean I don't sit quietly at times, but there there's a difference. So I'll plan a birthday dinner, even still like his birthday is coming up April 10th and he'll be 20. He would be 24. And so we're going to, you know, do a balloon release and we're going to have dinner at his favorite place. And I'll, you know, whatever that looks like at any of these times, make a plan to honor your loved one on that date to celebrate, honor, remember, do a, um, a, an act of service on that date. But if you take control of those times rather than them taking control over you, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be tough because those dates are still tough, but they're better than just them sneaking up on me. Cause I know I've got a plan for that day. Right. That, that's important for me to have that. So I'm not sitting at home sucking my thumb.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think this is the power of ritual too. You know, in some ways rituals become a dead thing, you know, that we just go through the motions of ritual, but when we create a ritual that is meaningful to us, then it can become powerful. You know, we, uh, we put in a bench for my late wife um, on the river where she used to like to walk and um, with a little memorial plaque there. And, um, you know, it's nice to go there on on certain occasions to, to honor her and, um, you know that that's a ritual, and then it's an ongoing thing because I received a. A Facebook uh, post from someone who happened to be there one day and noticed my name and my daughter's <laughs> name on the plaque and said, "You know, this was lovely. I I I, I love, you know, Reverend Rhodes or whatever, and and it was nice to be there at this beautiful place. And you know, and I thought, how wonderful, because you know, not only is it a special place for me, but they they found some meaning out of it too. And that's the joy, isn't it, when you're giving. Um, you know, happiness uh, to others as well through what was initially a sad time and a sad place. You know, but it doesn't have to be. It can now be a place of, you know, ongoing um, compassionate action. And and that's a particular physical place. But I think you'd do the same thing in any any regard. Some some activity that you do on that day, right? You do something uh, kind for someone. Then that that's and again, ennobling it. You know, it's it's doing it in honor of the person and uh, you know and
1: ritual can help us even now because there are a lot of people feeling lost without being able to go to work or some of these things yes i still get up every morning and i i do my hair i put on my makeup i go through the same rituals because they occupy time and they give me purpose, even though I'm not going to go out the door and go somewhere. I'm still doing these things that help me to to maintain some semblance that I'm that I'm participating in a life rather than just sitting here on my couch waiting for it to be over. So a ritual would be something that people should really jump on right now and, and not just sit at home and and not continue to take care of their physical appearance or their house or, or cook. There's still so many things that you can do on a daily basis right now in this time when we have this gift of time, if you want to say, use it. And
2: buy it. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful advice. Um, Folks, you can get this book, how to live when you want to die on Amazon. Um, And if you want to find out more about what Leanne's doing, Leanne, tell us your um, website.
1: Okay, so I have a website for my book as well. So there is a con, and I can mail you an autographed copy if you want to order it there versus Amazon. So either place is fine. But the book is www.leannhull.com, leannhul L.com. Okay. And then our foundation is Andy Hull's Sunshine Foundation, and the website is andyssunshine.com with two s's in the middle andyssunshine.com and you can request wristbands you can you know reach out there's a contact there's a place for you to connect with me i'm on facebook twitter you know everywhere you i'm pretty easy to find
2: good excellent let me tell you about next week's show folks and then we can say goodbye to Leanne, Um, next week I begin an eight-week series looking at the topic of unity and world religions. So we're going to look at commonalities, differences between the unity movement and and principles and various world religions. We'll kick off with an overview next week of of that and the basic principles of unity and then look at seven different religions and how they they fit in or otherwise to the unity way of, of looking at things. So that should be interesting and uh, but right now I want to thank leanne so much for giving us such a in-depth look at, at this difficult sub- subject and sharing it honestly what a wonderful show thank you so much
1: oh gosh thanks for giving me a platform to share this message i really love it and you matter you matter
2: There we go. And that's a great message to take with you today, folks. Yes, you do. You matter. And thanks for being part of this ongoing Voice of an Awakening World, keeping these shows on the air. Uh, Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.